Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. A very warm welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, brought to you on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio on every third Tuesday of the month. Discover the cosmic message for this age revealed through legendary master of yoga and world-renowned medium Dr. George King between 1954 and 1997. Now today, we have a very unusual show for you in that neither Richard nor Chrissy are in the studio. Instead, we will be playing a recording to you which was made by Richard who will not be talking about philosophy or theory but describes a personal experience which he has called Knowing God Through King Yoga, which he pre-recorded earlier for this occasion. We will now listen to Richard's recording, which includes extracts from what he calls the Kundalini Diaries, which he started on August the 13th, 2022, through to January the 14th, 2023. Here's Richard now. Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live. And this is a very different show, as the first time we've ever done a show this way, and there's a very good reason for it, because this is a recording made prior to the show. And I hope you will uh, forgive us for that, but it was necessary because these are direct experiences. And while they're fresh in my mind, uh, I would like to put them down on a recording to share with you all, because it's very relevant to our theme, which is knowing God through King Yoga. It's not about the name King Yoga, or whether we call it our master's path, or whether we call it the Aetherius Society path, or even another name. That's not what this show is about. What it's about is this path leading us to know God. And as I mentioned, it's going to be a little different because I'm going to read and you will hear extracts from what I've called Kundalini Diaries. And those diaries were written between August the 13th, 2022 and January the 14th, 2023. They're on my website in both written and audio form if you want to look at them in any more depth, my website being richardlawrence.co.uk. But in this show, we're going to include those which start on November the 5th and take it through to January the 14th. And the reason for that is we've been doing, Chrissy and I, Chrissy Blaze and I, on Aetherius Radio Live, some shows showing that our teachings, and in particular we're looking at the transmission from the Master Aetherius from free will to freedom, which absolutely give us this great promise that through service, and specifically by radiating energy to the world during a spiritual push, but it must apply to other things which didn't exist then, such as Operation Prayer Power, and all the many other activities in the Aetherius Society, the promise is that all powers can be gained, that Kundalini will rise in natural, unforced, I want to stress that word, unforced fashion, 
in its entirety through all the chakras leading us to full enlightenment and ultimately cosmic consciousness. That is the promise. It's been also made in other teachings by Mars Sector 6, by our master, Dr. George King. It's a path of yoga, yoga meaning union with God. And these shows continue. We've done two. You can find them uh, if you want to look the, the, the first two parts of that up. There's a third part still to come next month. But I've been looking at myself and thinking, I don't want to just talk in theory. I want to practice what I preach. On January the 14th, I had a particular experience of what I'm calling dipping a toe into the ocean of samadhi. And this was a first for me. And I've talked to a number of friends, some of them international directors of the Ethereum Society, and of course to my co-host Chrissy Blaze. And we've agreed that the best way to convey this is by me doing this particular show on my own. I'm pre-recording it because it's in my mind now. And I think also, to be honest, the quality of the recording will be better this way to share this with you as an example of definite experience which confirms this great promise we've been given by the masters. Now, I'm not going to make any claims here, such as I'm not claiming to be an adept. I am not claiming to have entered cosmic consciousness. I am saying that I have entered in, if you like, a very, very preliminary a very early stage, but nevertheless a very definite state of samadhi. And that's quite something to say. I'm not asking anyone to believe this. I, to be honest, I don't mind whether they believe it or not at all. I am just sharing it with people who might be interested because it's completely relevant to the shows we've been doing. And actually it's relevant to all our teachings when it comes to spiritual advancement in these days prior to the great new age. We can all talk in theory. We can study in theory with full belief, backed up by logic, and full faith, backed up by intuition. But in the end, we need to know it from personal experience. And I suppose it could be said that by now, it should have been demonstrated and experienced by someone like me. After all, I've been a member for nearly 51 years of the Ethereum Society, and I've followed this path ever since. So you might ask, and I think it would be a fair question, what has it done for you? Have you gained enlightenment? Do you know God? And I want to answer those questions today, not to talk about myself, but only for one reason, as I said earlier, to give others the confidence that this path does work, that it does lead to enlightenment. You can know God through practicing yoga, providing you do so with sufficient effort and commitment. To quote Mars Sector 6, Choose well, stand fast, and know God. That is the key. 
Let's examine what it means, and then I will share my experience with you by reading what I've called my Kundalini Diaries, during which I can honestly say I dipped my toe in the ocean of Samadhi, and I did know God. Not nearly to the degree that Dr. King did, as he brilliantly described in The Nine Freedoms, nowhere near that, in fact, but still to a degree, and a degree is enough to know. You might say, why do we need your experience when we've got Dr. King's own much, much greater ones to learn from? He was a great master, an avatar. Why do we need your much lesser, much lower descriptions? And that's exactly why. Because I was not a master or an avatar incarnating upon earth. Far from it. Very much a lowly, flawed terrestrial. And yet through this path, I did attain a degree of enlightenment. And I did so just a few weeks ago, after decades, without any break, even for a day, following this path. And of course, and this is vital to remember, Dr. King did not attain enlightenment through King Yoga. He entered Samadhi before the first transmission was delivered. He had to, or it couldn't have been delivered. He knew God before the Aetherius Society was even founded. So his enlightenment is not a demonstration of this path, whereas mine is. He's the greatest exemplar, demonstrator of this path, and no one will ever match his pattern. But he didn't find enlightenment through it. I realise that the experiences I'm going to share with you are not proof that some people might think I made it up, and if so, they will not benefit at all from listening to them. They might as well switch off now. All I would say is, to make something up as serious as this would be the height of foolishness, would not be a good karmic move for anyone to make. Anyone who said such things to blow their own trumpet would be a complete idiot. It should only be done to help others and, as I say, give confidence that this path does work. If you like to bear witness to that fact. I don't know whether anyone else has experienced this. They may have done. They may have wanted to keep it to themselves, which I completely respect and really do understand. Or... There may not yet be anyone who's taken it that far. I really don't know, and it's not my business. What I do know is that there are very few people alive on this realm who have chosen this path and have taken all the major opportunities offered to them to serve, who have stood by those choices without giving up on any of them right up to the present day. I have chosen well. I have stood fast, but do I know God? Before I answer that, let me please be clear, and I want to be really clear, that I'm not setting myself up as an example. Far, far from it. I've made many mistakes. I've fallen short in my behaviour on more occasions than I care to remember. 
But I have, if you like, fulfilled my responsibilities to the big picture, world service, cosmic responsibilities. In that respect, I have chosen well, and I have stood fast. And from January the 14th of this year, I can say that I know God. I think it took me much longer than it should have done, because Dr. King told me in the spring of 1986 that I could become an adept in this life. I'm not claiming to be an adept now. I am sure my many weaknesses have held me up and I should have achieved this very small degree of samadhi sooner than I did. But now I have. And I'd like to read to you my Kundalini diaries exactly as I wrote them during this period of realisation. November the 5th, 2022, note 1. I took the first hour service as usual last night and during it had what seemed to me was a significant experience. One of the difficulties in all forms of psychic development is discriminating between physical sensations and psychic ones. For example, spiritual energies can cause a tingling sensation in the physical body, but so can a physical allergic reaction. Giving healing can cause considerable heat in the palms of the hands, but so can a radiator. Silly examples may be, but you get the point. When trying to see the third eye, you have to make sure you're not looking at the retention of the physical image of an electrical light or the sun, if you've been looking at them, or even with your eyes closed, they are visible to you. For that reason, I do my practice wherever possible in a darkened room where this cannot happen. Then I know that the light I see is internal. However, during the service, while my eyes were closed at one point and the image of the physical light was still present, so also was the internal light, and I could easily distinguish between the two. The light from the third eye was very small on this occasion, little more than a pinprick, but much brighter and much whiter. Of course, that was not my reason for being there, so I did not concentrate on this, but I did observe it as a definite factor. Note 2. One of the things I've noticed in my attempts to raise Kundalini, open the third eye, is the activation, sometimes intensely, of the solar plexus centre. In fact, this has been an obstruction to me, and I'm having to learn, sometimes with difficulty, to detach from it. If I think back, this is a problem I encountered as a teenager, although I didn't then know what it was. I very clearly remember strong sensations in what I considered to be my stomach area then. Although they felt physical, I knew even then that they weren't, but what they were, I didn't know, except they were somehow related to mind, and in those days connected them to my creative process as a would-be composer and playwright. As soon as I see and focus on the light in the head, the solar plexus seems to kick into action and I have to still myself and detach from that in order to proceed further. This detachment can be achieved without any force, but for me it doesn't happen naturally. I have to make it happen. I put it down to lives of Nardic flow in a certain direction which has to be reprogrammed, as it were, by me. 
I suppose it takes time for a tanker to change course on an ocean, and that seems to be what is happening here. Note 3. Yesterday, I realised the blindingly obvious, that the practice of the presence is an embryonic state of cosmic consciousness. Apologies if I'm way behind you on this. As I see it, the white light is a purifying force. The violet flame coming from the Mother Earth could be connected to Kundalini. These are risen to the crown centre in their entirety and the result is divine illumination in the form of the golden light throughout our being. In his version of the practice on March the 16th, 1963, the Master Theorist talks about this golden light vibrating every cell of the body so that your heart sings with joy, your brain rejoices, and you feel the blood singing in your ears, a hymn of praise to this nectar of the gods. He says that the voice of the internal organs sing in praise as this sweet golden nectar flows through them, that they thrill to it. At its height, this would undoubtedly be somatic bliss. But until then, were given it in embryonic form. In the version of February the 28th, 1960, for example, he talks about the golden flame as being all-knowing and coming right the way down through body and aura, again at its height, a somatic state. Note 4. Talking about the practice of the presence, in August 19th, 1959 version, the Master Theorist advises practitioners not to put up any barriers of disbelief while the violet flame is flowing up through their body and aura. As well as doubting thoughts, these barriers can be nardic blockages of residual energy which prevent this upward flow of the violet flame. When the practitioner is ready to raise kundalini, if these blockages have not been transmuted, they would act as barriers, so-called knots, to impede this rise. The violet flame comes from the Mother Earth, and ultimately she too is the source of kundalini. Note 5. I realise today that there is a difference between seeing the third eye and looking through the third eye. It seems to me that to see the third eye, one would have to be very sure that it was in fact the Christ centre and not the reflected eye of a lower centre, as it were. One could be sure, and I've experienced that when I saw the vivid purple eye in front of me, but it would take a big effort, and at a lower level than this, it could just be a manifestation of clairvoyance. Note 6. In the Eighth Blessing, the Master Jesus gives us a practice which we have not done justice to, I feel. It is as follows. Face the sun and absorb its radiated power deeply into the third eye. The heart will thereby be cleansed of impurity, which I take to be a transmutation of blockages in the region of the heart chakra by the attraction of kundalini and or prana upwards towards the third eye. Also, the third eye can dwell upon this glory, which may be the energy from the sun, duly absorbed into the centre, and or the sun itself. The motive behind this must only be that of service to others who have not experienced this, and let's be clear about this, that service will be enhanced by the purification of the heart centre. The implication is that by dwelling on this glory, 
you will help the consciousness and karma of humanity as a whole. And that would be my summary about this practice, which can be performed in a sunny clime and should be. It is an easy one for us to miss, and I've done so myself, but it has clearly and emphatically been given to us to use. And as a footnote, as I'm making this on February the 7th, 2023, this recording, I can add a footnote to that note 6 of November the 5th, 2022, which is, I have discovered, of course, I should have known, this practice doesn't require a sunny climb that you can do this practice, and I did it today, in a darkened room with the curtains drawn and you can't even see the sun, because the sun is always there, of course. Now, obviously, I think it would be much better if you can to do it in the sun, but in some climates that's very difficult. You can still, I've found, do this practice. And if you can magnetically draw the energy into the third eye, all the better. Because I've also discovered, as of February the 7th, 2023, that in these things, and in raising the Kundalini in particular, you go beyond thought and visualization to what might be called will, and it's a magnetic attraction that draws that Kundalini, if you like, activated by will. I'm not trying to sound too fanciful here, but it's uh, something which does start to happen. Not all the time, but when you're in a certain state. For of course, in the case of Dr. King, he could enter Samadhi in two minutes flat and had to many times to gain a transmission. He couldn't go through long visualization and thought processes. He just did it through sheer will, I'm sure. And of course, he had full of mastery of the kundalini which someone like me definitely doesn't have but i have discovered that it goes beyond just visualization and thought and becomes something magnetic november the 13th 2022 after my last diary note it occurred to me that i have on two or three occasions over the years seen through the third eye in each case, I was lying in bed, focused, and it was just prior to projecting from the body. I did not set out to see through the third eye, or indeed determine the object of my vision. It is quite possible I received higher help in doing this. I was looking through a single eye in the forehead region, as though I was looking through a telescope or magnifying glass at a particular location on the other realms, which I believe, in all cases, was a countryside vista. It was necessary, and this I clearly remember, to maintain this focus with some effort, rather like a relaxed effort, if there is such a thing. And if I didn't, I would lose it. So it wasn't just relaxing into a dream, for example. One particular country scene I can still remember, it was hedgerows on a path leading towards a wood, with my vision starting to move along this path and speed up as it did so until I left my body and I was there and then the astral experience took place, probably under guidance. I realise that this is very different from being awake and seated and deliberately inducing vision through the third eye at will, which I have not achieved in this life yet. However, it does give me some encouragement in that I know it can be done, and I recall the clarity of vision as I beheld the location I was seeing on another realm on these occasions. 
I wasn't out of body. I wasn't in a dream. I was lying down, but I was very focused. I know that a clairvoyant experience is achieved normally with the eyes open, which enables you to determine what you look at, e.g. the aura of a person in the same room as yourself. The eyes start to blur over, hence the mist which descends on a crystal ball, and go out of focus as the vision is transferred towards the third eye, although in many cases it is no doubt a reflection of a lower centre, probably the solar plexus centre. There is a combination of what might be called the mind's eye, in other words a mental impression, with actual third eye or psychic vision in such clairvoyance as when I saw and was able to describe Count Cagliostro in my office at Ethereum's house and confirmed later that my vision fitted with how he had actually looked. But seeing through the third eye in that chakra at will and possibly determining the object of one's vision is quite another thing which I have yet to achieve. With the eyes closed, I suspect that you wouldn't necessarily see what is in your physical vicinity because you wouldn't be spatially limited, as it were. But that's only a theory which I have yet to experience. December the 20th, 2022. It is over a month since my last entry, and during that time I've learned two very important lessons. Both of them are obvious when you think about it, but knowledge can be gleaned in various ways. One is belief in the wisdom acquired through study. And then there's a supplement to this using logic to discover and possibly amplify the veracity of this wisdom. Also, there is an intuitive recognition of the impressions received about this wisdom, leading to higher realisation. But there's something else not based primarily on study, logical examination, or even intuitive impressions, and that is direct experience. At this stage, for the first time, it becomes a living reality, no longer a theory or even an impression, but a known fact. So although I knew the two lessons I've learned this month in theory, and they were confirmed to me through a fairly rigorous process of applied logic and intuition, it is only now that they've become something of a reality, a burgeoning fact, an embryonic experience. And I must temper it that way because I'm still very much a novitiate in regard to harnessing Kundalini at will. If it were a journey of a thousand miles, I took the first step a long time ago but I've only walked a few dozen miles so far. Lesson one. I should really have known this, but it was pointed out to me in a very helpful communication by an advanced guide using the name Erasmus. It's basically, don't try to run before you walk. The mistake I was making was to try and go from an awakening of the solar plexus centre straight to the Christ centre which of course is a silly thing to do because there are two chakras in between. I'm reasonably content that I can bring about an activation of the solar plexus centre, probably because of certain past life experiences which required this, although I don't believe I had sufficient control over it then. However, I have not awakened to any major degree the centres above this. Partially, yes. Fulsomely, no. And of course, it's come home very clearly to me through practice, not just in theory, that you can't detach from something 
you haven't first awakened. You need to activate the hearth centre to detach from it and higher to the throat centre which also needs to be awakened before you can detach from this and move to the Christ centre. Very simple, very obvious and yet I was not doing it. I want to repeat and stress that I'm only a novitiate in the embryonic stages of the Kundalini journey and it seems to me a very long way from mastery. But these things I'm learning through experience and this lesson has come home clearly to me in the last month. It occurs to me that at a vastly higher level than mine, this is what is meant in the sixth freedom when Mars Sextus 6 refers to the two faces of the heart being blue and cold that there is a full activation of both faces to the colour of their expression blue, and only after that can detachment be brought about signified by them being cold. Likewise, the throat centre becomes pink and cold, and so on. I've noticed that by going through these stages, the beginnings of a trance condition can be experienced as one starts to move into the Christ centre, though it only comes as a fleeting taster of what it might adorn the high table of enlightenment. Lesson two. This too I should have known and probably did know as a theoretical idea, but I have now started to experience. Through the ages, men and women of genius have courted inspiration as an indeterminate force which has periodically graced them. These geniuses in science, music, art, literature or any other field have known without exception that very hard work was essential to achieve their goals, that it was more about perspiration than inspiration, but that somehow the two coalesced in these moments of grace. Some have referred to their muse, some have used channeling, sometimes consciously, usually unconsciously, to inspire their works. Some have encountered writer's block, long periods of inspirational drought before the clouds part and creativity once more returns. In so many cases, and there are rare exceptions to this, they clearly could not control the impact of partial kundalini activation in their lives, leading to various kinds of personal weakness, psychological imbalance of one kind or another, and even misconduct. One thing that advanced spiritual practices would have brought to such outstanding people would have been a greater control over the forces they were often unconsciously awakening, including Kundalini. That I knew, that I've already experienced in this life to a considerable degree, but not yet to mastery. But there's something else too, which is so obvious that I would apologise for saying it, if it wasn't for the fact that I am now starting for the first time to begin to realise it through experience. Inspiration doesn't have to be the nebulous, whimsical thing which is sought after by geniuses who hope that it would grace them with its presence. Would it be their lucky day today, or would it be another barren period of nitty-gritty hard work? While an element of this will always be that there will be fortuitous moments brought about by karmic, energetic, even astrological influences, that doesn't have to be the source of inspiration. The source, of course, is Kundalini. Not the muses, or even the angels, 
ultimately it's kundalini and when that is in a certain position you will be inspired and the muses and the angels however you regard them will come too if you need them as i say i should have known this because dr king brilliantly described in his commentary on the fourth freedom the experience of raising kundalini to the heart throat and christ center noting that when the kundalini is raised in its entirety to the throat center one could write great symphonies of nature's wonderful sounds and speak words greater than those ever written by shakespeare this doesn't have to be the result of any outside force. It is all within. It is the capability of an adept rather than a genius, I suppose. But I will let you know if I ever become one. It's no longer a whimsical thing, but a predetermined decision at will to raise Kundalini to a sufficient degree to a specific chakra or chakras and then use the inspirational realization which must come in a particular way. Such a use would have to be karmically correct, but at this stage, that too is known. It reminds me of the almost opening words of the fourth freedom. Freedom of ignorance can be brought about by all terrestrials who are willing to expend sufficient energy to bring this elevated state into being. It's a predetermined result of effort which can be brought about. January the 6th, note 1. A couple of days ago I received a communication from a higher source with a three-word message designed to induce a somatic state, which was breathe, Restrain, no. This, I believe, has more meanings than it may appear to at first sight and to me is very much work in progress. It was impressed upon me that the cosmic teachings, especially those of the Master Ethereus and Mars Sector 6, must be demonstrated as soon as possible. Only then can it be stated as a matter of fact rather than a matter of faith or belief alone, that they work. This means that someone has to demonstrate that following these teachings with their major focus on service does lead to samadhi. So this is yet to be done, more work in progress. Note 2. For years I've pondered a statement made by Dr King in his lecture on the cosmic plan given in Amersham in 1974 which I was privileged to attend in which he described himself as a yogi who was trained to control his emotions up to a certain point but that he was affected by the sacrifice made by the mother earth. Many thoughts arise from this statement especially when you consider what he did for the mother earth through missions like Operation Sunbeam and so on but I was also interested in the concept of yoga training leading to a control of emotions, which means, of course, control, not suppression. This has to happen in life, but I hadn't yet experienced it in this manner directly through yoga. I have now very directly and very immediately, as the kundalini starts to rise above the solar plexus center and the function of that center starts to be inhibited, immediately a detachment is brought about from certain types of emotion 
and I'm sure this must be true of other centres too. Part of me doesn't really like this, to be honest. It is a natural consequence of this procedure and it happens. In fact, it has to happen in order to go higher. It is something like a switch in a circuit, but much more difficult than that. Perhaps I will get accustomed to it and I'm not taking it to mean a lasting control necessarily, so much as something which happens. It has to happen at that moment. There must be some kind of change brought about as a result of this experience, though I don't take it to be permanent at this stage. That remains to be seen. Note 3. I've been raising Kundalini above the solar plexus centre and taking it to each of the higher centres in turn, but I must stress emphatically that this is only a partial rise. I don't know what percentage of a full rise it might be, but I would think it is a very low figure indeed, a figure well short of 25% would be my guess. I have some sensation of activating and closing each centre as the force rises upwards to the next one. I did notice today that when I activated, albeit minimally, the throat centre, some beautiful words came to me along the following lines. The heat is that of bare feet on the desert floor as the ochre-coloured sun brings light to the brain. Those may not be the exact words, but they are close to them. It was not a message from another source. It came from within me. And yet these are not phrases I would use normally because I've never walked on a desert in this life and I don't use the word ochre to describe colours. Yet it is a very beautiful image describing the heat associated with Kundalini in a vivid way and the sun in a certain form as a source of enlightenment. Note 4. It became clear to me this morning during these practices that raising the Kundalini, activating and controlling the higher chakras and raising consciousness of the third eye produces the elixir of life. Count St. Germain reportedly described this as a fluid contained in a phial, and that is probably true, but only part of the truth. It may even have been a useful explanation to give the uninitiated about his longevity of hundreds of years. More importantly than even such a physical phial is the inner secretion of energetic composition flowing from the enlightened mind. Ojas is not only, or even mainly, a product of sexual activity, it originally derives from the brain. Once activated, it can flow through lower aspects of your being, and one of the effects of that could be overcoming the aging process. In Tibetan teachings such as the yogas of Naropa, the master of Marpa, who was the master of Milarepa, this is called, I believe, the Tiglis, plural because there's both a positive and a negative Tigli from a magnetic point of view. So at an inner level, this is the real elixir of life, based on my experience this morning. And we'll have to see how that works out going forward. January the 8th. This morning I was working on an address to be delivered in Los Angeles on a master's birthday about him. As I was in the middle of preparing it, I was highly inspired and on a roll, as it were. I could have continued for at least another hour with inspiration flowing, but had to stop in order to get ready for and lead Operation Prayer Power. This, I realised, is an example of what Mars Sector 6 referred to in the fourth freedom 
as the transmutation of mental energies upon the plane of inspiration called high intuition, at which stage meditation is possible, I had to control the inspirational flow and detach from it because high intuition determined that I perform a more important act at that time. Many a creative artist, writer, composer, etc., even including geniuses, might have regarded it as artistic sacrilege to stop a flow of inspiration for any other purpose because they had no higher purpose than their art. That's something I can relate to. In the fourth freedom, Mars Sector 6 attributes two main keys to bring about this transmutation. Strict control and the manipulation of one's karma through service. This is an example of a transmutation of mental energies through service. In my small example, when Operation Prayer Power is a more urgent responsibility than the preparation of this address. But I also realise that as Kundalini rises to a particular chakra, let's say for example the heart chakra, great inspiration is experienced through the mental energies in that centre. High intuition sooner or later will guide you to raise the kundalini higher into the throat center. To do this requires detachment from those mental energies. And if you're able, the closing of that center so that you can lodge kundalini, this could be certainly in my case just a partial rise of kundalini, of course, in the throat center. And through that rise, you've transmuted mental energies upon the plane of inspiration this case connected to the heart centre, under the guidance of high intuition. This would be a case of strict control. Maybe that's why Dr King says that an adept will be a genius, but a genius in several things. Unlike the artistic genius, whose inspiration is usually confined to one discipline, such as painting, writing or composing, or sometimes even a single aspect of that discipline, such as piano music or short stories, an adept, you might say, because of service and strict control, is a jack-of-all-trades of genius, or at least some of them. On February the 7th, 2023, today, I want to add that when you raise the Kundalini to enter meditation, you could be gaining very positive, absolutely beautiful psychic impressions and inspirations, and you have to detach even from those. You're not just detaching from lower things. You might be detaching from wonderful revelations, prophecies, great realizations and insights of various kinds. Even those have to go. At that point, they have to go because they are limitations when it comes to going beyond mind, which is the journey certainly conscious and subconscious mind anyway, that you're on and into pure superconsciousness. Ultimately, of course, we're told in cosmic consciousness, which is way beyond my remit here, we're going beyond mind. January the 11th, 2023. I'm becoming increasingly aware of the fact that samadhi is a trance condition. I suppose it should have been obvious that when you start to experience this nature of, of this condition as I'm just beginning to do, it becomes clear. You can see why Dr. King had no conscious recall of the transmissions he had received, but had to hear them replayed because his entire focus was on the reception of the thought beam or beams, 
but also because he had negated stroke-transmuted conscious thinking and bypassed the normal function of memory. I'm also understanding for the first time why there is paralysis in the lower limbs, or at least one reason for it, namely that again the normal conscious and unconscious processes that enable physical functioning have been bypassed or negated or transmuted as this trance condition is entered. Another thing I've noticed is just how pleasing it is to start to enter a positive trance, while at the same time becoming aware of the tremendous resistance to it from the normal mental processes. I would call it an instinctive resistance. There is a fear of losing control and therefore resisting trance, which kicks in from the conscious and subconscious minds. Immediately the intellect wants to analyse and think about what is happening, which of course acts as a barrier to it. I can see, although I haven't fully achieved this by any means, that it would be an act of surrender to fully enter somatic trance, that the conscious mind will be defeated by it and will have to willingly accept that defeat. One might accept this logically, but will also have to do so instinctively and subconsciously as well. Work in progress. Note two. It's all about knowing God. And that can only be done by going within, in the stillness, in the silence, when the conscious mind subsides into non-activity and superconscious engulfs your being, you know. It is not belief or even faith, but a state of knowing. It is not the powers gained along the way, whether strong or mild, nor even the effulgent light in the third eye, oft-times violet in hue, or any other higher sense of wakening, you know. You realise, you are one with God, you are God, so God exists. Not that I've achieved this state or anywhere near its fullness, but just enough to know that such a state exists. My favourite book title has always been How to Know God, the Christopher Isherwood book based on the aphorisms of Patanjali. Not that it's the best book on the subject, my favourite is Raja Yoga by Swami Vivekananda, But as Swami Vivekananda said, what is the proof of God? Direct perception, pratyaksha. But this perception is no perception at all. It's super sensuous, super conscious. I've always known this, but somewhere I forgot it. Samadhi is not seeing through the third eye. It is oneness with God. Only then do you know that God exists. Only then do you know God. So all I can say is bring it on. Pratyaksha, here I come. January the 14th, 2023, 11.30pm at my house. It is the night before Alison and I go to LA to record the audiobook version of The King Who Came to Earth. I should be resting, but I know that now is the time I must meditate. So I do so. For over an hour. I figure I have chosen well with my master and the Aetherius Society and stood fast for over 50 years, taking all the major opportunities presented to me and staying with them. I have stood fast. Made mistakes, absolutely, but through them all I have stood fast. So rightly or wrongly, I think I should know God. I've been proactive in making choices along the way and overall I got the major ones right 
I was proactive about standing fast, and though I did not always do it right, I did it very actively. So I stood fast, but I have not been proactive about knowing God. I have fallen into the trap that I suspect others have too, of thinking that it will happen naturally without any particular effort from me. But how could it? And how could I or anyone else handle it if it did? Yes, I've done regular practices, but I need to take it up another notch. Not for the sake of any particular power, nor bliss, nor even peace, and not even to, inverted commas, become an adept, inverted commas. Purely and simply to know God. It may happen. I think it might. Let's find out. Seated on my bed. Legs in tailor position, pillows against my back, door closed, table lamp on, eyes closed, breathing. Breathe, restrain, no, I was told. So I follow that guideline, sometimes holding breath in, sometimes out, intermittent breaths between restraints, the lights, and then the third eye seems to form, violet in colour as usual, but a yellow surround. I think the three faces are imposed upon each other rather than next to each other, but I could be wrong about that. Perhaps you only see the face you're meant to see at any specific moment. Ringing in the ears, building up. I could break down that sound, but I don't want to be distracted from my purpose. I turn out the table lamp. Darkness in the room. I close my eyes, darkness, and then a small dynamic pinprick of white light, as if to remind me, and then gone. The third eye seems to form, but that's not my purpose. I have to still the mind, not repress the vrittis, but let them subside into nothing. And then it happened. And forgive me, I can't be sure of the sequence of events, but these are some of them. A mild pain at the base of the spine. Very familiar that. Not excruciating as the master described, but discernible. At most a discomfort. A movement of the sphincter muscles and an immediate reaction in my third eye. Vision of greater clarity, a trance-like feeling as the energies move upwards into the head. A slight resistance of this from my mind and the trance-like state fades and then again, several times. I'm aware of internal mental resistance. At one point a concern that I will lose my personality, myself, my being, consumed in God, a fear, a slight panic, causing the state to recede, and then back and at it. A few things happened. Was it high intuition, as referred to by Mars Sector 6 in the fourth freedom? I very clearly state the AUM as a thought, but not initiated by me or coming from my mind, something in me repeated the word. It wasn't me, but it was me. It wasn't a message. I know that experience. It's completely different. This was coming from inside of me, not from an outside source. I am God. I am Brahma. And a host of Sanskrit words including Mahavishnu, Atman, Krishna, Guru Deva. I was thinking them without any conscious intention to do so. I am God. I am not one with God, 
because even that thought is a suggestion of separation, a seed which needs to be fried, as Patanjali might put it. It takes two to become one. I am singular, only one. But what else am I? Anything and everything. At the same time, a strong, firm line of magnetic force which I attached to for that moment and I felt I could move Kundalini with magnetic attraction upwards, up the back of the neck, into the head and outwards, and then I let that go. I knew that God is all life. So I am all life. Lower astral entities who admired their leaders, some type of triumvirate, who despised their followers, their lackeys, except when they were useful to them and higher mental realm entities who now wish they'd been more active on the physical plane, less concerned with their own development, because then their karma would allow them to reincarnate and help actively at this dangerous time, a danger they were fully aware of, more even than we are. And those in their long robes, with arms outstretched, they join in ritualistic movements joyously. A mountain, firm, strong, Feeling when boulders fall away, break away from it, feeling this loss, yet still strong, upright, purposeful, and a hedgehog scurrying along, feeling protected by its sharp coat, and yet a hint of fear about this. Jungle animals, ruthless but gaining experience, all entities being given the chance to gain the experience they need to go back to God. I am the law. It wasn't my mind. It came from another place. I didn't think it. I knew it. Even a pebble on a path has a karmic pattern. All life going back to God through multifarious paths. I am the law. I know God because I am God. A tiny step, not the massive stride experienced by Dr. George King and a handful of others, but a tiny step is still a step, and it can be followed by other steps and gain momentum. Yes, I know God. The path has led me here. Through the right service, with sufficient prolonged effort, it has led me here, and this meditation has taken me over the threshold of knowing God. Just over the threshold. Perhaps just one step over it but over it, beyond belief, beyond faith I know, which means that you can too. God is within you, God is within all life, you can realise your God potential. That note was written on the plane journey after this experience. Dr King was fully immersed, had a full immersion, transmuted all emotion into immersion in samadhi. But here I just dipped a toe into that ocean and knew God. The inner voice was the still small voice of God, the voice of the silence, without character or timbre or accent or even limited to language. Early on as I detached from me, small letters to become me, large letters. I felt a love for my body, which I observed in an impersonal way, but with this love, knowing that every sinew of it was God. And then more briefly, a love for my mind, and then on. 
Also during the experience, I saw the Master Jesus and felt his immeasurable love for humanity despite all their frailties. And then humans were minuscule in size compared to this Master. Yes, I can now state that I have dipped my toe in the ocean of Samadhi. Well, there's no way I can add anything to that except to say thank you for that wonderful insight. And I confirm that Richard's Kundalini Diaries are available in written and audio form on his website, richardlawrence.co.uk. The next Ethereum Radio Live show on March 21st, your hosts, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, will be resuming their truly amazing in-depth study of service leads to Kundalini Heaven Part 3, which fits perfectly with what we have just heard. Parts 1 and 2 were broadcast in August and October respectively last year and are available to listen to on Richard's website. Once again, I say thank you to Richard for sharing with us all that amazing but very personal experience. Thank you, Richard. And thank you all for listening, and we look forward very much to being with you next month.